Good morning, everybody. Some of you may be surprised to see me here. I'm usually in the Spanish service <clears throat> preaching over there, but today Bruce took a vacation, and so <clears throat> it's my honor to be here with you. I don't know how your week was. I had a blessed week, Thanksgiving. <clears throat> First of all, I didn't work all week, so that was great, all right? I can't beat that. And just had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with a lot of you, some of you, <clears throat> It was a busy week, but a, a very blessed week. Um, this morning, as you saw the, the verse that we read, John 5, 39, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking, and he says, in the New King James Version, he says, he's, he's speaking to the Pharisees, and he's rebuking them. He's, he's letting them know they, they've missed the mark. He tells them, uh, this is Jesus speaking. He says, <clears throat> you search the scriptures, you study the word, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. And then he says, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I, I chose that verse because <clears throat> we're going to be talking this morning about the encouraging power of God's word. You know, to be honest with you, I was meditating right now and thinking, you know, we're going to read from Luke chapter 24, last chapter of Luke. A very interesting story. I've never preached on this story before. And I was thinking, how did I come up with this story to try to encourage us? And, and the reason why I wanted to speak on encouragement is, you not only get one, one opportunity to speak to you or to share God's word with you. And I thought, I'm feeling really encouraged. And we're, we're getting towards the end of the, the year. And, uh, and I want us to be encouraged about what God has been doing this year and and, and that Lord willing, we could begin the next year encouraged. We'll talk about why and why we need encouragement. But so I started thinking, okay, let's talk about encouragement. I thought, you know, I don't want to preach a sermon about, you know, three steps to be more encouraged by the end of the year. Although that was a that was an option. But I thought, no, that's not what I want to talk about. And to be honest with you, I have no idea how I ended up in Luke chapter 24. This story to talk about encouragement. But as I was, I really sincerely don't know how I ended up there. Just reading and, and uh, meditating and, and, and considering different portions. I ended up in this portion, and now it's one of my favorite portions in the Bible. If you have a Bible, which I would encourage you to have one, bring one. Luke chapter 24. We're going to read verses 13 through 35. You might be thinking, like, the whole thing? Yeah. <clears throat> because if we're going to talk about the encouraging power of the word... And all I give you is one verse. Well, you may not leave very encouraged. But hopefully, when we read a lot of the word and study it, you come out of here really encouraged by God's word. Not by what I say, not by what I do, but by God's word. That's, that's the idea. Getting together, worshiping together with this great band, these wonderful songs, inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit, which he was already here, but we're just recognizing the fact that he's here and we want him to, to do a wonderful work. And then to be able to Greet one another and see new faces and, and see faces that I don't get to see very often is encouraging to me, but also to spend time in the Word, to spend time in the Word. Very interesting, Luke chapter 24, we're going to read verses 13 through 35, and we'll, we'll go through it slowly. But here, in case, in case I lose you later on, here's the main point of my message, all right? So if somebody asks you, what did you do earlier today, later on, they ask you that, and you say, well, I went to church. And you know, it, when it happens, somebody says like, really? So what was the message about? And you're like, oh, you start scrambling. You're like, oh, I should know this. I don't know. He says something funny. And then 
He said this. I don't remember. Here's what you want to remember. All right? This is what you want to remember. As Christians, we must remember that God's word, like nothing else, can encourage us and empower us to live for God's glory. I think that's really important. We have to realize that as Christians, there's nothing more encouraging and powerful to us than God's word if we want to live for God's glory. What you don't want to do as a Christian, and many of us fall into this trap, is we, we depend on our, on our emotions. You know, oh, that song was great. I feel great. And then something happens as soon as you leave, and it's like, oh, I don't feel great anymore. I don't know what happened. And then, you know, or I'm... I feel, I feel encouraged right now. And then later on, you're like, you look at your bank account, you're like, oh, I'm not encouraged anymore. And, and then you deal with issues at home and whatever. And your emotions go up and down all over the place. You don't want to depend on your emotions for encouragement as a Christian. What you do want to depend on is God's word. God's word. And I, and I hope that that portion where we read right now in Luke 24 is what we get out of this message. All right? As Christians, we must realize or remember that God's word, like nothing else, encourages us and empowers us to live for God's glory. Because ultimately, that's what it's all about, living for God's glory. All right. So does anybody need encouragement here? Everybody all encouraged up and you don't need any more? You're like, my encouragement tank is full? No? All right. So, so I'm talking to the right crowd. I know I can always use more encouragement. And tell you what, even when I feel encouraged, every once in a while, you know, you get to these little spots in, or pockets in your life where you feel like, hey, you know what? Everything seems to be okay right now. Nothing hurts a whole lot. And there's, you know, all the bills are paid and things with my wife and my kids are all right. And work is going okay. I think I'm doing all right. Even, even if you find yourself in that situation, I would, I would venture to say and I would encourage you to think about the fact that you and I need more encouragement than we could ever even think of. Because... Beloved, as Christians, we're not here just to get by. We're not just here to get by. We're not just here to make it. We're here to impact this world and change the world. And I'm glad you you need encouragement. The two guys that we're going to be talking about today really needed some serious encouragement. So I'm just going to get to it. Um, Take a look then at, at Luke chapter 24. The title of this morning's message, The Encouraging Power of God's Word. And I hope that at the end of, you know, what is it, an hour or two from now, <laughs> at the end of this message, that you will be encouraged by having spent some time in God's Word. All right, give me about 30 minutes. How's that? I'll meet you in the middle. Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Let me, let me set this up a little bit here. Luke 24 is the last chapter of the gospel according to Luke. So this is it. This is after the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, chapter 24 begins with the account of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very important stuff to Christianity, right? I mean, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Without that, there is no Christianity. The fact that our Lord lives is what gives us hope and assurance of eternal life and forgiveness of sins and all that good stuff. So we pick it up at verse 13. So what happened is... Uh, Sunday morning, the Lord uh, comes back to life. Uh, Mary Magdalene has an encounter with the Lord. And then women go who have prepared these, these uh, ointments and, and fragrances for the body. Uh, they rested on Saturday. Sunday morning, they went 
to, to see the body and to anoint the body. And, but when they get there, the tomb has been rolled away, the tomb is empty, and then these angels speak to them and say, why are you searching for the living among the dead? Real cool phrase right there, right? And they get freaked out, they get all encouraged and excited. They run back to the disciples and the apostles and, and everybody that was around still confused and troubled, not knowing what's going on. And they begin to tell them, hey, the tomb is empty. And these guys told us that, you know, why should we be looking uh, for the living among the dead? Basically, they're saying, like, he's alive. And, of course, the disciples and the apostles, Peter and the bunch, are like, awesome. And they weren't. If you read that, they're like, oh, these girls are crazy. I don't know what happened. What did they do Saturday night? It, it's, it's confusion. Uh, unbelief. They don't believe what, what uh, these women are saying. Peter and John run over there. John beats them there. And then they, they see the empty tomb. So it's, it's a very unique, for sure, but troubling, confusing time for the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even his closest group didn't understand what was going on. Seeing their Lord and their master and their uh, teacher hanging on a cross just didn't fit for most of them uh, their idea of what Jesus was all about and what he was going to do. So they're confused. And they don't know what's happening. And now there's word about him coming back and and they're not remembering what he had told them. So, in verse 13, we pick up, after all this stuff is going on, and verse 13 says, Now behold, two of them, who two of the disciples that heard this account that were involved in this whole uh, ordeal, two of them were traveling the same day, that means on a Sunday, to a village called Emmaus which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So imagine, two guys, two disciples, probably not of the 12 disciples, but two disciples, people that followed the Lord. They knew who he was. They saw what happened. They're walking away from Jerusalem to this village seven miles away, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. Which things? Everything that I just told you. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, now, the first point, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take this long portion, and we're going to break it up into sections. The first section, the first thing we're going to look at is the sad ones, and it all starts with S, the sad ones. What do I mean? Look at verse 16. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And Jesus said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So there's these two disciples of the Lord who don't understand what just happened this weekend. It was a crazy week. Uh, the Sunday before, Jesus goes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and everybody's throwing palm branches on the floor saying, Hosanna, Lord, Savior, King of the Jews. And then by Wednesday, Thursday, things go crazy. The Lord gets arrested. He gets betrayed. He gets beat up. Friday, he gets, he's, he's crucified. They take down his body. They bury him. I mean, try to, just try to imagine. We can't, but try to imagine yourself in their situation, these two guys. And now there's word about missing bodies, and you don't know what's happening. Your, your heart is full of unbelief and confusion. And so two of them walk to this town. I don't know for what. And then they're sad. The Lord calls them out on that. Says, hey, what are you guys talking about? As you're walking, and why are you so sad? Why are you so sad? 
What did they need? They needed encouragement. They needed encouragement. And all the disciples were like that. They were confused and, and full of unbelief. And so let me talk a little bit about these sad ones. They had some serious unmet expectations. And tell me you've never had unmet expectations, right? You may find yourself in your life thinking like, hey, what happened? You know, by now I should have been, I don't know, retired. I should have been married. I should have had 20 kids. You know, my bank account should have been overflowing by now. I should have, my house should have been paid off. My car shouldn't be breaking down by now. I don't know what the situation is, and I don't know what kind of unmet expectations you may have, but chances are we all have unmet expectations. We thought our life would be at a different place by now. And so we need encouragement. We need encouragement. So they had unmet expectations, and actually, we're going to see that. Uh, they, they thought, kind of like Judas, the betrayer, they thought that here's the Lord, he's the promised Messiah, he's going to overthrow the Roman uh, government and reestablish Israel as a nation and powerful and center of the world. And when Jesus was crucified, that just didn't fit in their mind. They couldn't understand how they thought he was going to be Israel's redeemer physically, and then he hung at a cross. And the, the very Romans that they thought he was going to overthrow ended up crucifying him. They didn't understand, beloved. And guess what? It's all right. If you don't understand, I would venture to say nobody here understands everything that's going on in your life. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? Why is this happening to our nation? Why is this happening to this world? There's all this confusion. There's all this uncertainty. There's all these things that we don't understand. And I would say, it's okay. You don't have to. Nobody said you had to understand or have control over everything. These guys had some serious unmet expectations about Israel's Redeemer. But part of the reason why they were sad, one, their unmet expectations, two, they didn't have the full story. They didn't have the full story. They were missing the most important part, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know why sometimes we get sad or why we get discouraged? Same reason. Either unmet expectations, but two, we don't have the whole story in mind. We're not thinking ahead. Most of the times when I find myself kind of stuck in the mud of life, it's because I get stuck in my situation now. You know, today, what happened yesterday, what's going on tomorrow, how am I going to pay that bill at the end of the month? And I'm not thinking ahead you might think, like, how far ahead? Well, I'm thinking ahead, like revelation ahead. When Jesus said there's going to be a day where there's no more fear, no more uh, sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. I'm going to have a new body. Nothing's going to hurt. There's going to be no worries. Every need's going to be met. And I'm going to see my Lord face to face. I'm thinking that far ahead. Because when I think that far ahead, the things that are going on right now don't seem to be as hard or as difficult, or as bad. So these guys didn't have the full story. They were missing the resurrection. We're going to read that right now. And they lacked understanding of God's word. So they lacked faith. And we're going to see that. So let's see it. Let's see it now. So we looked at the sad ones, and we're also going to look at the stranger. That will be our Lord Jesus Christ. So imagine that. Here's the risen Lord, 
And it happened with other people too, right? He appears to them and they're not able to recognize him. Not sure why. It says that they were prohibited or they were uh, not able to recognize the Lord. Even though it was daytime and even though it was the Lord speaking to them, for some reason they weren't able to recognize the fact, even though they were disciples of his, they weren't able to recognize that Jesus was walking right next to him. And there's so many parallels, beloved. Because I know all of you, as so have I, at times have felt abandoned by the Lord. And we think that his presence is not around, like, Lord, where are you? Well, here's two disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ walking along. Jesus comes and starts walking along with them, and they don't realize that he's walking alongside of them. Next time you feel that the Lord is absent in your life, just realize he's right there. And you're just not able to see because you're probably stuck in some kind of negative thinking or or what have you. But here's the Lord walking right next to him. So let's keep reading. Verse 17 ends by the Lord saying, you know, what are you talking about as you walk and, and you look so sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? He almost sounds like he's getting mad at the Lord. He doesn't know who he's talking to. Are you the only guy that doesn't know what's going on around here? Now the Lord knew exactly what was going on. He just wanted to ask questions to see what's going on in their heart. uh, For them to just express themselves. And he, the Lord, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how, he, how the chief priest and, and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was, it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And it's, indeed, besides all this, today, the third day, they're getting all sad. This day, these things happened. Um, And then he says, yes, and even some women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying that he had also seen a vision of angels uh, who said that he was alive. And it's just a sad account, right? They didn't have the whole story. They didn't believe that he was alive. They didn't believe in the resurrection. He was saying, uh, all these things happened. Yeah, he was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. He had, they had all these things right. But they didn't get the most important thing right, which is the risen Lord was standing right next to them, speaking to them. They didn't understand that. They were part of the group that just thought those women that went in the morning and, and saw these visions, they thought they were crazy. They were confused in their unbelief. Let me finish reading verse 24. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Kind of implying like, mm, you know, maybe they would have seen the risen Lord. We would believe it. But I don't know. It's just confusing. They were on the fence about it at the very least. All right. So we saw the sad ones and why they were sad. And we could kind of identify with their sadness or lack of encouragement. We look at the stranger who was the risen Savior. And that's so important, Beloved. The risen Lord was right next to them. The Lord Jesus Christ had said, I am the resurrection and the life before his crucifixion when he was dealing with Martha and Lazarus, raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus had said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, though he will die, he shall live. The Lord had said of himself, no one takes my life. I put it forth and I take it back. The the disciples didn't understand any of that stuff. 
And so look at the response. We looked at the sad ones. We looked at the stranger, the Lord himself, who was patient and not revealing himself. And he's a teacher. Now, what would you have done if, if you were Jesus? Here's two guys, disciples of yours, and they're all sad and depressed, and they don't understand what's happening, and they don't believe in your resurrection. Then if there you are, and you see them, I think most of us would have said, like, guys, I'm right here. Can't you see? Like, why didn't the Lord just say that? We're going to see what he did. He gave them a big scolding, which is what we're going to look at next, and then he gave them a Bible study. He didn't just say, hey, I'm right here. Get over yourselves. Let's turn that frown upside down. Let's get on with it. He could have said that, but he didn't. I think that's really important. What the Lord did to these two guys that lacked encouragement is very important for us to see because he could have just said, here I am. Now go on. But he didn't. Look at what he did. Look at how the Lord chooses to encourage his disciples who are discouraged and sad because they don't understand what's going on. So the Lord prohibits them from recognizing him. And then, verse 25, here comes the scolding. Then he said to them, Jesus said to the disciples, Oh, foolish ones. You know, the Lord didn't call foolish or didn't say foolish to too many people. He says, you foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You know what the scolding was about? The Lord was upset. He says, you foolish ones, there's no reason for you to be sad. There's no reason for you to be discouraged. The reason why you're discouraged is because you're acting foolishly. And he tells them, you're foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He didn't say, I'm going to scold you and you're foolish for not believing the women. He didn't say that. You're foolish for not trusting Peter and what what he saw. You're not foolish because of anything. He says, you're foolish and you're slow of heart of believing, listen to this, in all that the prophets had spoken. He says, your unbelief and your problem is that you don't believe God's word. That's the problem. And for that, you're foolish. And as a result of your foolishness, you're depressed, you're sad, you don't know what's going on, you're confused. And listen to what he does next. So we have the stranger, we have the scolding for being foolish and slow of heart to believe, lack of faith. And then he gives them, not a revelation, but he gives them a Bible study, beloved. He gives them a Bible study. So imagine these two guys walking along. The Lord comes next to them and doesn't just say, hey, here I am. He says, you foolish and slow of heart to believe. You should have believed everything that's in the Word, in the Old Testament, the prophets. And then he goes on and says, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Like, don't you know that the Christ was supposed to suffer? He's a suffering Messiah. And then he says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded or explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Remember John 5, 39, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But Jesus says, but they are 
It is they that testify of me. Whenever you read the Bible, beloved, it's not about these two guys. These guys are just part of the story, but it's about the Lord. You read the Old Testament thinking like, I don't know about those numbers and those names. It's all about the Lord. From beginning to end, the word of God is all about God's redeeming work through Jesus Christ. And he tells them, you foolish ones, you slow of unbelief. And then he says, and he says, beginning at Moses, he tells them, and all the prophets. He gave them a lengthy, now seven miles away. How long does it take for people to walk seven miles? So I, I happened to uh, teach P.E. in seventh grade the last, you know, couple years ago. So every once a week we would run the mile. And I always have people that walk the mile, right? Some students, they didn't run, they walked the mile. So you could walk a mile easily in 15 minutes. Walk a mile. So let's say 20 minutes. Let's be generous. They were walking slow. They were sad. They were walking slow. So 20 minutes. 20 minutes times 7. What is that? 140 minutes? That's an hour and a half. Sorry. Two hours and a half. Two hours and 20 minutes. Ooh, that math. I teach math too, by the way. (laughs) All right. So two and a half hours. Put three hours. Whatever. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't just say, hey, here I am. He gives them a Bible study. Maybe for a couple hours. And he begins at Moses. You know where Moses begins? You know who wrote the first book of the Bible? Moses did. The Lord began from Moses all the way through the prophets, explaining to them that they should have believed and known that the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus himself, had to suffer in order for him to be glorified. So what would he have said? Listen, we looked at the sad ones. We looked at the stranger, the Lord. We looked at the scolding. And then we're going to look at the study from Moses to all the prophets. So we're going to start at Moses. Ah, We're not going to read the whole thing right here. But what would the Lord have said? Because it doesn't go into detail. He just says, starting at beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's all it says. So we don't get the actual message. We're just told that the Lord, prior to revealing himself and opening their eyes, he gave them a massive Bible study. Beloved, you want to be encouraged? I'm telling you right now. The most encouraged people I've known, you know those people that never seem to be discouraged, even though I'm sure they had their discouraging moments, but the people that I've known that have been the most encouraging people are people of the Word. It's no secret. You want to have a blessed life? You want to be encouraged? You want to be full of joy and peace and every other fruit of the Spirit? Be people of the Word. Don't settle for what you know. And there's no such thing as, I already know a lot of the Word. I already know enough. There's no such thing. That would be a ridiculous thing for you to say. Hey, Mike, I've been at church all my life. What do you know? I already know enough. What does that mean? And we may not say it, beloved, but how many of our lives reflect that attitude? Are you in the Word? Are you going to be really upset if I go over 10 minutes preaching the Word? Will you come back tonight and study the Word? Will you be in the Word tonight, to this, this week? 
We need to be people of the word. And if you don't understand that, you might think like, what does that have to do with my job? What does that have to do with my finances? What does that have to do with my relationship with my wife? What does that, the word have to do with my kids? I will tell you, everything. I was going to save this for the conclusion, but before I lose any of you, Psalms 1. Psalms 1, beloved, the key to your success is wrapped around God's word. It says, blessed is the person, blessed is the man who walks not according to the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But listen to this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. That person shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, who gives its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and everything he does shall prosper. You know what everything means? Everything. Now that's in the Old Testament. It was written in Hebrew. You know what everything means in the Hebrew? Everything. Everything. Mike, you mean if I'm a person of the Word and I delight in the Word, my fill in the blank will be better? That's what I read. That's what I read. Will I be a better student? You'll be a better student. You'll be a better athlete. You'll be a better husband, a better wife, a better son, a better daughter, a better brother, a better sister. Guaranteed, if you delight in the law of the Lord, day and night, if you make that a priority, if your priority in life is to become a person of the word, and I don't care how old you are. I learned that Psalms 1 when I was 12 years old. Not because I was self-motivated, but I think my Sunday school teacher promised me something. And like, you got to learn Psalms 1. Like, all right, we'll learn Psalms 1. And I'm so grateful for that. I've known that verse since I was 12, that, that whole chapter. And, it's, and 30 years later, that sounds scary, 30 years later, I'm beginning to understand it and apply it and believe it. It's not just about knowing the stuff. Because tell you what, these guys knew these things. And I'm going to get to that. They knew about the suffering Messiah. They intellectually knew about it, but somehow it didn't translate to their life and understanding about who Jesus was. So, the study. Oh, we got all kinds of time. Look at that. All right, the study. So let me tell you about the study. It would have gone something like this. What would Jesus have said to these two disciples about the suffering Messiah, about the scriptures of old that spoke about him? And the reason why they were sad is they didn't understand that the suffering Messiah would suffer, but then would rise again. So he would have started at Moses. Moses wrote Genesis. You know, he would have started with Adam and Eve. And he would have said, remember Adam and Eve? They would have said, yeah, of course. Remember when they sinned and then they realized that they were naked? And then... They heard my voice and they hid. Well, he wouldn't have said my voice. He would have said, they heard the voice of the Lord and then they hid. Or how they, they, uh, they sowed fig leaves and they tried to cover their, their nakedness, which is a symbol of their sin. He goes, you remember that? They would have said, yeah. Well, remember how the Lord clothed them and covered their nakedness? And they probably would have said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It says that uh, he took uh, skins of animals. Well, guess what happened to the animal? 
they would have said, well, I suppose he had to have first killed the animal to take their skins to make clothing for the man and the woman to cover their nakedness. And then the Lord would have said something like, and I'm sorry if I, I hope I, the Lord doesn't like strike. I'm just, you know, we're using our sanctified uh, imagination, but the Lord was explaining to them. He would have said, well, guess what? That animal was innocent. It wasn't the animal's fault that Adam and Eve sinned and that now they knew they were naked, they needed to be covered. It wasn't the animal's fault, but guess what happened? The Lord killed this innocent animal in order to take its skin and cover their nakedness. And they would have said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Lord would have said something like, that's a symbol of the Christ who needed to suffer for the sins of the world. And maybe they would have been like, oh, okay. I just thought about them covering themselves, but I didn't realize or think much about the animal that had to give up its life in order to have their sins covered. And the Lord was teaching them. I don't think he was just repeating verses. He was teaching them, explaining to them, expounding what the meaning of that was. And then he would have probably said, he probably would have mentioned Genesis 3.15, where the promise is made and said that the seed of the woman, speaking about the Christ, would be, uh, its heel would be uh, hurt, but that he would crush the serpent's head. He would have said, see, there was some damage done to his heel. There was some damage done to the Christ, but, but ultimately he would conquer and beat and, uh, and kill the serpent. And then he probably would have said, remember the wilderness. Remember in the wilderness when people were complaining and nagging against God and God sent these fiery serpents and they were getting bitten and they were dying and then they complained to Moses and they begged Moses for help and then Moses went to the Lord and said, Lord, you know, help us out here. And the Lord said, okay, make a serpent. Was it copper and bronze? Make a serpent, put it on a pole and then raise it up. And anybody who gets bit by one of these fiery serpents, if they just see that serpent hanging on a pole, they'll get healed. You remember that part? They would have said, yeah, I remember that. Well, that's a symbol of the Christ, the suffering Christ, who Jesus said later on in John, that just as a serpent was lifted up in the time of Moses, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He was speaking of his death in the cross. He's telling me, you get it? You understand the stuff that you're complaining about, the suffering of the Messiah, that was all written about. And surely you know about Isaiah, he would have said, about how he bore our iniquities, how he was bruised, how he took the sins of the world. He goes, that's the Messiah. He had to suffer. You guys didn't understand. And he would have gone on and on. It would have been an awesome Bible study. But I want you to realize this, and I want you to understand this. This is kind of what spoke to me a lot during the week, is that he didn't just say, boom, here I am, and left them at a superficial understanding of who God is. God, the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, wanted them to have a good foundation of the Word, starting from the Old Testament. Beloved, that's what we want for you as a pastor. That's my desire for you. Not that you would be content in coming to church on a Sunday, but that you would strive to be people of the word with a good foundation, the foundation being Christ, from which you can build your life. And how do we learn about Jesus Christ? 
how we set them as a foundation, if not through his word. You need to be people of the word. And that's what Crosspoint is here for, to help you with that. I can't believe for you. I can't learn for you. But we have these classes. We have this worship service. We open up the word on a Sunday morning and see what God has done, see what he says to help you build that foundation in the word. In the word. I used to feel so guilty when our pastor used to say, read your Bible every day. And he used to tell us how he used to read the Bible every day. And I was like, ah, I don't read my Bible every day. And, uh, and I still have this little bit of a guilt. I hope everybody does. A little sense of guilt that you don't read as much as you should. Or am I the only one? Am I the only one? I'm not the only one. All right, all right. Hopefully nobody feels like I already read enough. Again, same thing, right? Um, but there's got to be this sense of, of hunger for the word. And you're never going to get full of God's word. It's always going to give you more hunger because the more you, you eat of the word, the more you know him, the more you know him, the more you realize how much greater he is. And you'll never finish eating from the word. It'll always be just as delicious. In fact, the more you eat of it, the more you consume it, the sweeter it becomes. The sweeter, the better, more fulfilling it becomes. It's amazing. It's God's word. All right. So the study. So basically the Lord goes through from Moses to through all the prophets, much like Philip did with the eunuch. Remember that? The Ethiopian eunuch? He's reading Isaiah in his chariot. And then God tells Philip, takes him from a very uh, successful ministry, and he says, I need you to go to this road in the desert. Philip's like, in the desert? Lord, it's going on right here. This is where it's at. No, he didn't say that. That's probably what I would have thought. But he goes, okay, let's go. So he goes, and then he meets this, this Ethiopian eunuch who had come to worship, and now he's going to travel back home, and he's reading a scroll from Isaiah. And the Spirit tells Philip, just run next to the uh, chariot and get in there and talk to him. And, and, and Philip goes, hey, what are you reading? You understand what you're reading? And he goes, how could I understand if nobody explains it to me? Bam! He wanted to know, and God sends him somebody. Beloved, if you want to know God, God will send somebody for you. If you seek him, he promises you will find him. If you knock, he promises it will be open to you. You will find if you search with all your heart. That's beautiful. That's awesome. So Philip goes, uh, he's reading from Isaiah, and he says, is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? And then Philip says, no, it's talking about the Messiah. Let me show you. And then he says that he expound the word, just like Jesus did to these two guys. And then the Ethiopian left to Ethiopia, rejoicing, and no doubt God did mighty things through him back in his country, in his land. So it's awesome. The study. All right, let's start wrapping it up right here because we still got a bunch of verses. So he says, um, talking about himself, verse 28, then they drew near to the village where they, had, where they were going. And he, the Lord, indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in and stayed with them. Now it came to pass, last point here, is the sight during supper. The sight during supper. Keep in mind, these two guys have been listening to the Lord for I don't know how many minutes or a couple hours. 
give an awesome Bible study, but they still don't know who he is. They're probably thinking like, man, this stranger really knows the word, but they don't know who he is. And then during dinner, during supper, verse 30, now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it. Sounds like the communion of the uh, uh, supper. Um, And gave it to them. And listen to this. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. So when they took that communion, when they took the bread that he had blessed and given them, much like he had done a week prior at the Last Supper, it says that when they took that bread, somehow, most likely supernaturally, their eyes were opened. So can you imagine that? They're having, they're having dinner, and then all of a sudden, they're thinking, like, who is this guy? And they eat the bread, and bam! Their eyes are open, and they realize <laughs> Jesus has been with us. The risen Lord is not just Jesus that came out of nowhere. It's the risen Jesus that had just been crucified before is right here with us. And he's been with us. Their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then he vanished from their sight. So as soon as he revealed himself, he was done with them. But before he revealed himself, he gave them this massive Bible study, and I love that. Beloved, be in Bible study. Be about studying the Bible, especially if you don't understand it. If this looks really intimidating to you, you're thinking like, man, that's worse than Harry Potter. Don't read Harry Potter. The Lord of the Rings. This is like, what is this? Let me, let me throw this in right now. Last year... Brother Robert started a Bible plan reading for a year. And he had got a lot of people to, to join in. And I saw some amazing things, beloved. I know a lot of us, a lot of kids from the youth group, started posting things. They use their Bible app, and they read. Uh, I see that they, they highlight verses. And a lot of that stemmed or came from or at least helped support this idea of reading the Bible. You have to read the Bible. You got to read it. If you're thinking like, oh, it's kind of boring. You really have to read it because you don't know what you're talking about. You're like these guys that don't have the full story. You're focused on the wrong thing. There is nothing more exciting than to understand that when you open the word, God speaks to your heart. It's amazing. God's love letter for you in print or digital form. Whatever you want. We live in a, we live in a time... In this world where, where the Bible is so readily available. I mean, 500 years, the printing press was barely uh, invented. Before that, even after that, it was hard to have a Bible. Now we have tons of Bibles and electronic Bibles of every version imaginable. Easy to read, different languages. It's no excuse, beloved. It's no excuse. All right, so their eyes were open. He vanishes from their sight. In verse 32, we wrap it up with this verse. And they said to one another, listen to what they said. Now they start talking to each other. They go, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? When they were listening to God speak, to Jesus speak, it says that their hearts were burning. I hope that happens to you. I hope you never become these people that feel like, 
Oh, I already heard that verse. I already heard that message. Oh, I've already read the Bible. I've had people say that. And it breaks my heart. That's probably one of the worst things I could hear coming out of somebody. Oh, we, I already read that. Oh, I already know that. What are you talking about? Does your heart burn with excitement when you hear from God? Do you ever have God speak to your heart? Not just your mind. These are not just letters and words, chapters and verses and books. This is God's living word, beloved. Do you believe it? Or are you going to be like these foolish ones who are slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? We all are in danger of being those people, just like those two guys. Knowing a little bit here, knowing a little bit that, there, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I kind of know the word. I've been going to church for a while. I don't really read the Bible, but, but I know. I know some stories. That can't be us. That can't be you. That's not what God wants for you. God wants you to experience unbelievable encouragement, peace in the midst of trials, joy during painful situations, strength when otherwise you will be weak. He wants you to experience all of that, and all of that comes through a relationship with him, first of all, based on what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. He died for our sins. That was his greatest victory. No one took his life. He laid it down because of his love for us, and he took it back, proving to everybody that he's conquered death, and he was raised on the third day by the power of the Spirit, and then he showed himself. There's at least 10 accounts of Jesus appearing to people. And these two guys were one of those accounts. Why them two? I don't know. Why they left the group in Jerusalem to go to this town seven miles away? I don't know. Why they were all bummed out? I don't know. How they both ended together and neither one understood? I don't know. You know, you got to be careful to hang around people that, that are encouragers or people of the word, beloved. Because these two guys were arguing with each other. I don't know what they were saying, but whatever they were saying, it only caused them to be sad. So I would say, you know, Psalms 1, it says to be careful who you hang around with. Be careful to not hang around the counsel of the ungodly or to walk in the paths of sinners or to sit in the seat of the scornful. That's the first thing the Bible says. Get away from this negativity. Get away from negative people. Get away from gossipers. Get away from people who talk bad about people. Get away from people that are all involved in just drama or negative or nothing or, or just ungodly. You know what ungodly is? In Psalms 1, ungodly people are not necessarily bad people. They're just people that are not about God. Who do you hang around with? Now, that doesn't mean just like, let's hang out at church every day, all day, and not have any friends outside of church, and you know. But it says, your intimate fellowship, you should have intimate fellowship with people of the faith, people that are people of the word, people that will encourage you. Not because they say, boy, good job, but because they say, hey, look at what I read this morning. 
What did you think about the message that brought Mike? Don't say, what did you think about Mike? Nobody cares about Mike. What did you think about the message that Mike brought? What did you think about that? Those two guys on the road to Emmaus. How are you like these guys? How are you going to stop being like these guys? Where do you lack courage? How, where do you need to be encouraged? And how are you going to be encouraged if not through the word of God? Through good, solid Bible study. Bible study, beloved. That's where it's at. Meditating, delighting in God's word day and night. You might be thinking like, day and night? How could you even do that? Day and night? Or like pray without ceasing? How do you do that? Let me ask you a simple question. How often are you on your phone? Day and night. Oh, there it is. It's not that hard to think. What do you do in the morning? Check your emails. Check your word. What do you do when you're standing in line at the bank? Check my Instagram. Check the word. What do you do while you're driving? Hey, don't do that. Don't do that. You can do it. Be in the word day and night. Meditate on it. Ask God to help you. Ask God to forgive you. And ask God to help you to find not just motivation, but encouragement. You know why these guys needed encouragement? They really needed encouragement. They were the disciples of the Lord. They're the ones that Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel to all nations. You know what you need in order to do that? You need to be highly encouraged, beloved. And if the Lord, if the Lord is not encouraging through, you, through his word, you're not going to do what God is asking you to do. We may not need encouragement if we're just trying to get by. I just want to get through life, not cause any ripples, you know, not... Don't cause any trouble. If that's your plan in life, then yeah, you don't need encouragement. You don't need the word. You still need the word to be saved. But if you want to live a life, the life that God has called you to, the adventure of being a Christian, following and obeying God's word, you need encouragement. And that encouragement is ultimately going to be found in his word like it was for these two guys. You know, think about why we sometimes lack courage. Maybe a little negative right here. Why aren't we encouraged by God's word if you're not encouraged by God's word? You know, it's sad to say, but we know more about other things than about the word. We become expert in all these things. When we're young, we become experts at sports or we become experts at following teams and we become experts at video games. I did. Zelda. Ah. Mario Brothers. Some of you guys are like, what's he talking about? I was talking to the young crowd on that one. All right. We're more excited about other things. Oh, did you hear? What? That the Lord has risen? No, man. The new movie's coming out next week. Like, all right. Which one? And then we start buying into that stuff. We get more excited about other things. What are you excited about? We spend more time in other things. And then we say things like, well, you know, you got to work. You got to work. Yeah, you got to work. Of course. The Lord said, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. But let's not use that as an excuse. We spend more time doing other things. Right? My Sunday school teachers used to give us a hard time with that. 
Did you do your homework? I'm like, no, I didn't have time this week. Can you imagine a 12-year-old telling that to the Sunday school teacher? I didn't have time this week. I was like really busy. And the teacher, thank God for patient Sunday school teachers. Oh, really? That's okay. Did you watch any games? Well, just a basketball game and a, maybe a football game and maybe one of those volleyball games. You know, well, baseball game because the World Series. That was like 10 hours right there, beloved. What do you mean you didn't have time? So they used to give us this hard time that you do. You know what? What did, what, did you, uh, what did you spend your time in? We spend more time on other things. And frankly, we care more about other things, beloved. We've got to be honest. We care more about other things. And in doing that, we break the first commandment. You should have no other gods before me, God says. I'm number one. I should be the most important thing in your life. Everything else should wait. I'm sure I speak to all of us when I say that. So find out. Do you need encouragement? We do because we've been called to a great commission to share God's word, to make disciples, to invest our lives in other people's lives for God's kingdom, for God's glory. That's the mission of our church, to glorify God by pointing people to the cross of Jesus for salvation and growth. Now, by that, we don't mean just like literally, like, hey, you want to be saved? Like, go that way. That's not what we mean. We mean like we bring them, you teach them, you encourage them, you show them. And we can only do that if we're encouraged and if we are people of the word. So that's my word of encouragement, beloved. Let's be people of the word. Let's understand that as Christians, we must remember and realize that God's word, like nothing else, has the power to encourage us that we may live for God's glory. And just like these two guys who were lacking, they were lacking. And the Lord wasn't happy with them, beloved. I know sometimes we think like, well, Jesus loves me. And he does. But I love my kids. And every once in a while, you know what? I give them hugs. You know what I'm talking about. If you love somebody, that doesn't mean you let them do whatever they want. That doesn't mean you have any expectations from them or requirements. Yeah, God loves us. But he, wasn't, he loved these two guys. They were his disciples. And because he loved them, he rebuked them. And he called them, you foolish ones. What's wrong with you? Don't you know what the word says? And in case you don't, bam, here's this Bible study for you. All right. May God bless you with his word. I'm blessed being here. And um, beloved, the invitation is always open to become a person of God's word. And Crosspoint would love the opportunity to be part of that. But it all begins with a relationship with God. If you've not surrendered your life through Jesus, to Jesus Christ as Lord, that means he's in control. He calls the shots. If you haven't accepted him, received him as Lord and Savior, then all this other stuff is not going to work. You first got to come and surrender your life to him. You got to repent of your sin. You got to realize that we're sinful and in desperate need of a Savior. And the Bible says that there's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. He's the only one that died for you at the cross of, of Calvary 2,000 years ago. If you have questions about that, I invite you to come over. Uh, you know, our band is going to sing right now. We're going to end in prayer. I'll be sticking around the front bench. We have a prayer room that we can go to and just talk a little bit. But talk to the Lord and ask Him what, what, uh, what He wants for you and from you. And if we can help with that, I think we can.
please let us know. God bless you.